certainly have fears that there is a serial killer at loose in Perth. Sarah Spears, Jane Rimmer, Kira Glennon. And every time you saw a young girl walking by, you think, oh God, is she going to be the next victim? Now, one man stands accused. If police are right and Edwards is the Claremont serial killer, he's been hiding in plain sight for 20 years. Hi everyone, welcome to this bonus episode of Claremont in Conversation. After 95 days, WA's biggest ever trial is over. Now, just one thing remains, and that is for Justice Stephen Hall to bring down a verdict. You're with Natalie, Tim, Alison and producer Kate Ryan for this wrap-up episode. So, seven months on, and how is everyone feeling since this journey began? Well, I'm feeling quite disoriented. Tim's probably just going back to another courtroom to cover another case, but I go back to retirement. But you were disoriented before all this started, Hallie. So. so you forget it's been 13 years since I've yeah. stepped foot in a courtroom. Yeah. Quite a quite different in everything in just those last years, just on the fact that what we can do in court now. Um, a journalist came in yesterday and she was quite shocked at the security. I said, "Well, welcome to our new world. That's what it is, you know." Yeah. <laughs> Have you had a chance uh, to take a deep breath this morning and think back on just how mammoth this trial has been? Well, I have, Nat, because I've got to write um, a massive feature for the Sunday <laughs> Times over the next couple of days. So what I've been doing is actually going over day by day of what we have covered and the words we've published and the and some of the words we've spoken as well. And yeah, it just brings it all into focus of exactly how big it was, how much has been written and spoken and thought about. Um, and once again, brings into very sharp focus just the, the massive job that Justice Stephen Hall has just accomplished by getting us through the trial in the first mm-hmm. place. But now he's got the, the biggest job of all to do. So, yeah, I mean, we always knew it was going to be massive and unprecedented and um, we were proved right for once. Hey, Ali, are there any... Uh, moments that, you know, if you look back over that last seven months, the kind of key moments in the courtroom that really stand out in your mind? Uh, No, only the last day. It's left me feeling quite unsettled. Um, Jovic's points, Paul Jovic's points were were very strong. And this whole reasonable doubt thing, thank goodness it's a judge who can analyse it a lot closer than, as I said, a jury would, because when you talk about reasonable doubt, what's reasonable doubt? I've mentioned this to you before. What's reasonable to one person is not reasonable to another. And um, some of those doubts that he put in my mind yesterday, uh, as I said, it left me feeling quite, yeah, there's a lot of disquiet there that I hadn't thought during the trial. Uh, when we did that one-hour special, I know Tim didn't predict the outcome, but I was quite certain that, absolutely certain with beyond reasonable doubt, that there would be a guilty verdict for Jane Rimmer and um, Kira Glennon. I was left a little bit shaken just, just with some of his points uh, that I think, thank goodness it's a, a judge and not a jury, because to me... Uh, I just, what is doubt? You know, how much is reasonable doubt? A little bit, you know, mm. totally. What What do you do? I, I, I found some of these points could be seen as um, quite persuasive in some ways. I think some of the evidence throughout the trial has been, especially because we hadn't heard it ever before, it was, it was shocking. Um, and uh, I think, like we've said before, it can't be sanitised. Mm. That's not Carmel's job. She has to tell everyone exactly what has happened to these women, but it's 
it's really um, confronting to hear. Yeah. Well, yeah. That, yes, but that happens in any case. You've got to, you, you can't minimise details. Yeah. You're you're absolutely showing what happened, whether it's a brutal rape, a, a murder. Uh, it's not a a place where you, it's going to be, as you say, sanitised or censored or distorted. In, if you just start doing stuff, you've got to really portray the facts as they are. And that's, of course, what will um, the judge will do. He'll judge the facts. There's no emotion that comes into this, as does a jury, no matter what you say about a jury, no matter how many times you warn them, emotion and personal feelings do take over. And so this is why you have the confidence in what he was saying and questioning so closely that he was looking at it every possible angle to be convinced of his final judgment of, of every, every point that both sides raised. And Tim, you have mentioned before that there have been some very poignant moments for you during yeah, this trial. Yeah, I mean, the ones that stand out, um, hearing Sarah's voice, um, seeing Jane's smile on the CCTV, um, hearing um, the victim of both the Huntingdale and Hollywood attacks give their account in the very in the in, in the first person in the dock, um, and then watching the victim of the Karakata rape actually having to walk out of court when her story was being told in public in detail for the first time. I mean, they're the they're the the personal moments that um, you know you try and portray on the podcast and in print, and when people ask you about it. But you know, they're, they're the ones that stick with you because you're actually you know sort of reliving that moment with them in the same room which is you know sometimes why court reporting is 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 a different sort of beast in itself because you are dealing as i've said before with people's emotions the worst days of people's lives um and then having to relive them um before um some strangers as well so um and even hearing some of the as as case just said I mean, some of those details in the um, in the post mortems and in the autopsies and and at the at the at the crime scenes, you know, even just hearing those videos was was enough to uh, to really give you a sense of of the absolute true horror of what um, all the detectives and forensic investigators um, had to deal with. That's right. I mean, you're hearing very very detailed um, descriptions of these terrible crimes and you're witnessing their pain but also you're sitting there amongst family members and that must definitely add a layer um, to the whole experience. Oh, absolutely it does, yeah. It brings a personal experience, especially with Kira Glennon's uh, friends who were giving evidence about their last moments with her and uh, I've probably mentioned this before that our oldest son is a senior barrister now and he was the same year as Kira Glenna and all of those people who were testifying were his friends and colleagues and so you can't help but think, oh, you know, she's back then and what's happening in your lives at the moment, that same age, same person, same year at law school, etc. That's what I felt looking at those. And, of course, they were suffering, as they said, they persuaded Kira to go to Claremont. So they've got that carrying that with them for the rest of their lives. And do you think uh, people who have been listening in and people who have been following this case very closely, do you think they have also got caught up in that sense of um, familiarity that they really also feel quite connected? Everyone was connected to this case in one way or another, but now that they have that uh, even a closer connection to those involved... Yeah. Yes, absolutely, because a lot of them are expats who are living elsewhere and they've come up and said this is our connection with the podcast is that we, we can find out what's going on because they were very personally involved. They were out there clubbing with the, 
every night down there. And um, so that's how personally connected they were. Yeah, and Perth at the time in, in the mid-90s wasn't as big as it was now, but, I mean, it's a cliche for, for those of us who live here that it's a big country town and there's there are cross-connections that you inevitably know someone who knows someone who knows someone and that's just been brought home to me as someone who's, you know, a relatively new person <laughs> having li- only lived here for 19 years, uh, that, that that is truly what what Perth is and and, and one of the things that makes Perth a, a wonderful place to live um and but what changed Perth in in that in those 14 months and hearing the testimony of particularly those who knew Kira and um, Jane and and Sarah the best um obviously their lives changed forever on those days but the the whole of Perth changed um and shifted um, matured in some way, I suppose, but was also uh, um, darkened a little bit as well by what happened to those three young women. Um, and then the mystery of it just lingered and lingered and lingered for so long um, that everyone still felt attached to the case because there was no resolution. And then, and now here we are at the end of the trial that many thought ne- would never happen. Um, and it has happened now, and we've all lived through it and sat through it, and the connection is 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 still there um, because well we can we could see it every day because so many people were were were, um, were turning up in, in person. And I think as well the um, the horror of it and the mystery of it has endured through other generations as well. It's not just the people who were there at the time who remember it. Um, other f- other people have grown up knowing about it, so it's it's endured through, um, I guess, young people now, and they're interested in finding out what happened to the women who are now, uh, I guess, similar ages to what they are now when they died. Yeah. Yeah. And and why do you all think that uh, it has resonated so much broader than um, you know here in Western Australia, Australia wide, but also, you know. Um, many countries around the world people are, are tuning into this and why do you think it has resonated like that so far afield i think possibly uh the whole aspect of true crime has uh become very uh popular through um possibly through the lockdown we're all watching those true crime things on on the paid tv netflix etc and i think there's a general fascination uh, with true crime, and this is part of it. But of course, there are a lot of expats, as I said before, who are tuning in, are now living elsewhere. Um, but there certainly is a fascination with serial killers because it's so random. Uh, there's no explanation, and people who feel comforted by other ones where they think, oh, well, that wouldn't have been me because it was a, a husband or a wife or someone close. This a serial killer is a random that could happen to anybody at any time. And I think there's some sort of morbid fascination with that type of um, crime. Yeah, and you, t- and you take, I mean, you, you try and take yourself geographically out of it and just look at the elements of this story and this these crimes and then the investigation and and, and the trial that uh, that came at the end of the investigation so you've got three young women completely normal all snatched randomly um, or but all connected by where they were snatched from you've got the mystery of enduring mystery of where Sarah is the horror of the two girls bodies that were discovered 
then the length of time, um, and we've discussed it on the podcast, that that's sometimes is very frustrating for someone trying to report on the case. There was so little detail. And then out of the blue, seemingly, this arrest happens. Then we discover why, and that even adds layer upon layer because of DNA and because of fibres and because of cars and because of witnesses and because of CCTV. And then you've got FBI involved and the UK involved. I mean, there are there's so many elements. Yeah. There's so many elements to this trial. Um, and at the heart of it is just a bloke that seemed completely normal to most people that knew him from the age of about 30. He was a Telstra technician. He's a telecom guy, um, little athletics, um, married, stepdaughter, um, pillar of the community, literally yeah. a pillar of the community. Um, and now he could end up being the man that, that spread fear in this community for nearly 30 years. Yeah. And we've got a huge following from people in Ireland who are connected through Kira Glennon. They yeah. might not necessarily have known her, but they feel a connection to her and her family. Um, and just through the massive amount of emails that we've had, um, people who are interested in legal matters have spoken about how they're quite interested in how the trial has worked, for how long it's been taking, um, the amount of witnesses that they've had. It, it's just fascinating people and people who are really interested in um, psychology as well. Yeah, and I think that's something that's been so good with this trial is that people who have probably never stepped into a courtroom have never necessarily followed the justice system very closely have have absolutely become invested in how this case has worked and really into the evidence itself. And they're really challenging themselves to look at it and question their own beliefs and really have to ask themselves about this idea of reasonable doubt. And maybe people have never asked themselves these questions before. Mm, absolutely. And that was part of the thinking when we started it um, or when my newspaper editor tapped me on the shoulder and said, you're doing it, <laughs> um, was for exactly that reason that it's, it's the justice system is, is to a lot of people a mystery in itself, how it works, um, how long things take, the processes that, that, that um, lawyers and judges and, and, and juries go through to get to these decisions that are in some cases, life and death decisions. And so that's what we've tried to do is bring all the minutiae and, and all sometimes the boring bits <laughs> and, and sometimes the dramatic bits. And, um, and I hope that, that we've been able to do that um, in, in some way that, is, that has not only brought the case to um, the people listening, but has also brought a, um, a wider understanding of um, courts and and all the things that happen in them, um, albeit in a very extraordinary uh, courtroom and an extraordinary trial. Yeah, and looking back at some of the evidence that we have heard, uh, particularly the DNA and the fibres, how are you feeling about that now? Uh, did the prosecution do a good job with that evidence? Well... Um that's the that's the <laughs> million dollar question. Well, we've had listeners say I say it too often, so I, was, <laughs> I hesitated then. But that is the main question. That has been the big question: the DNA and and then the fibres. Um, personally, I'm left uh, thinking that the, the prosecution um, did pretty well. Um, although I am left also thinking that the, the defence and, and led by Paul Jovic did as much as they could 
to try and uh, bring doubt um, into that um, arena, which the forensic arena, which is, is the main arena. Um, there was a lot of talk of contamination, of course, but ultimately uh, um, there wasn't a smoking gun. That's we, right. Uh, on the contamination in the DNA and the same in the fibres. And the fibres, because they're 98 of them, there was sort of one-fifth, one-billionth of one gram. I mean, that's that, that, that's... You know, we, we put that on the front of the paper to just to try and get across the absolute, you know, tiniest amount flake, you know, of DNA on which this whole case hangs on, or a big part of it does. But then all these fibres as well, there's 98 of those. And the multiplicity of those, again, it's hard to see or think that Paul Jovich really did a, a, a you know, a... a massively stellar job in and in trying to convince Justice Hall that all of them might have got there through some, you know, um, amazing coincidence. Yeah, and I think, like you said, you know, a, a lot of people were waiting for that smoking gun. Mm. Um, didn't happen. No. What about you, Ali? What are your thoughts on uh, how well the evidence went in relation to fibres and DNA? Well, as I said, I was convinced up until the last um, few days, and as and even so, this morning I've just come back from Claremont. I'm in I'm in that area all the time, and now I'm sort of looking at the whole neighbourhood in a different light. I'm looking <laughs> at where she went and where where this one went, and I said, I'm even looking at cars and thinking, well, did I see that had a logo on it? Because <laughs> yeah. there was a lot of things that do you think, well. How could none of those people have seen a logo? But then again, lighting and maybe different things. So it certainly does distort your entire sort of being for the the way he put it, um, uh, Paul Jovich, and, and certainly has unsettled me in that way. But uh, it's been a, a torrid time listening to um, both sides trying to put over their points. And it just to, with as you say, it just hinges on a couple of things. The DNA, to me, the DNA combined with the fibres, mm. combined yeah. with the Karakata rape. Yeah. But each one on their own, there would be doubt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, the, I mean, and that's the point. And that's the point that Carmel Barbagallo was was really stressing yesterday, uh, last week. Was you've got to look at it in in um, as a whole. Um, which is why we've uh, just spent seven months um, going through the whole yeah. thing. But then and Mr. Jovic was saying, but, you know, can you be sure? Can you be sure? Can you be sure? And then you put those doubts together and do you get a, uh, you know, uh, are you left with one big doubt? Um, and that, that's what we'll have to wait a few months to find out. The propensity argument too, I'm not quite sure how, how convinced or how comfortable um, Justice Hall is with that whole thing. Uh, to me, that's something completely new propensity because, as I said, I haven't been in a courtroom for a while. And while well, I'm old school and was drilled that you <laughs> never brought up anything that mm. could point to a previous crime having any meaning on on a current one. So, um, I mean, we used to be, live in fear of aborting trials if you dared mention someone had a record for something. And now this whole propensity is part of a, yes. part of a motive. Yeah. So... Um, I found that quite compelling, and that, of course, uh, involves Sarah Spears' case because there is no evidence, there is no body, there's nothing except propensity. Yeah. So to me, that was an unusual aspect of the case. I mean, it has been, you know, 
a a real roller coaster and at times it's like we've been i don't know the piggy in the middle of the tugger tugger rope yep. and we're pulling and pulled one way then the other and just when you think you've you've found your side you've been pulled to the other side. Mm. And I feel like uh, just judging from the emails that have been coming through from you all, that that's exactly what's been happening. You're you're on one side, then you're swayed to the other, back and forth. Yeah, imagine how Justice Hall feels. Imagine how Justice Hall feels. Ali, you said uh, you felt like, you know, quite unsettled today. I wonder how Ms. Barbagallo and Mr. Jovic are feeling today. Tired, well, I'm I would sure. have thought. <laughs> yeah. Lying awake, reliving over if I said that, if I should yeah. have said that, <laughs> yeah. as you do. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, as as I've mentioned, uh, Carmel in particular has been quite, I mean, very patient with us and, and obliging when we've asked questions. Um, there are rules around barristers, to, you know, talking yes. on the record, but you spend enough time around a person and, and I, I suppose they begin to trust you or at, at least, you know, appreciate what you're trying to do in, in bring the, bring, bringing the, the trial to, to a wider audience. Um, yeah, and that's exactly what Ali just said. She, she, she was worried about, you know, I've got to cover this, I've got to cover that, I'll make sure I don't miss this. Um, and Mr. Jovic would have been exactly the same, I'm sure, and, and was asked, you know, for the indulgence of the court so he could, could go away and then spend some more time sort of honing his thoughts and, and really, um, you know, really getting to the, to the crux of the matter, and, and look, you have to admire what they've what they've both done. Just the sheer stamina of it um, to to get through all those witnesses in 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 the time that they did, plus all the technical um, theories and mm. and scientific um, you know expertise that they'd have to sort of absorb and then try and you know not just revise for an exam, but that they're doing it for a reason. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, it's, it's been a um, Herculean, Herculean task. Yeah, Herculean. absolutely. Herculean, well, the prosecution too has to anticipate. She can't find out because, of course, once they've done their summing up, they, she can't get up and rebut or go over unless it's a legal um, uh, aspect. She can't go over some of the things. They, they covered a little bit of that at the end, a bit of a niggling war. You didn't say that originally and <laughs> yeah. that didn't come up there. But they can't go over factually each point. So she's got to – she had to fully anticipate what um, the defence was going to say when she finally did her, her wrapping up and evidence. Um, Paul Jovic, who has the last say, can cover what the prosecution's um, argument is. Mm. Uh, but then again – and then the judge, of course, um, can clarify things. But – he shut her down pretty quickly. You know, if you can't say that, you can't do that at the end. So <laughs> that's his, his, his judgment now. And apparently that's a little bit annoying to uh, many people who have been listening yep. to the podcast because yep. they're almost a bit cranky that it ended that way. But mm. that's just how it works. Yeah, yes, there's we, no, there's we no have bang. A few questions. Kim, there's a lot of questions we'd like to ask. Yeah, to no, there's no banging of gavels or <laughs> no. fireworks or it was, and it, it did. I mean, and, and we all knew the end was sort of you know nigh, 
Um, and but when it when it does end, when you've when you've spent that much time thinking about something, writing about something, talking about something, it what there was a bit of um, after the Lord Mayor's show last <laughs> night over a couple of glasses of wine, talking to uh, the other journalists that have covered the case, and then you know your significant others, and they all want to you know pick yeah. your brains. And the last really the last thing you want to do is go over it all again. But yeah. but sometimes doing that does give you new perspectives and makes you think a little bit different. Um, so, so yeah, uh, I'm you know it's I'm I'm sort of glad of, glad it's over, but but not because it's been uh, it's been an amazing sort of thing to 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 be a witness to and a party of. Yeah, and we did touch on this in yesterday's podcast, but you know you can't help but wonder how the victims' families, how the accused, how the accused family um, are all feeling today as well. Mm. Well, yeah, we I mean. I hope we've tried to um, keep certainly Kira Jane and Sarah's families um, in our thoughts and at, yep. at this at the, the, the sort of centre of what we've done um, over the last sort of seven months, um, and Mr. and Mr. Mrs. Edwards as well. They've they've had a long geographical journey up to court every day, um, and then you know having to listen to some of the things that have been said about um, you know one of their children can't can't have been easy. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure there would be a little bit of relief, a little bit of, um, a little bit of fear about what's to come, and um, yeah, just just a little bit of fatigue having having lived through it all as well. Yeah, exactly. well, the biggest day of all is still to come, isn't it? That's going to be the huge day. Mm. That's when those right. Those verdicts come down, and um, obviously we're all preparing for programs for that. As you said, Ali, there the big day is actually still to come. What are you expecting? On that day, the day that Justice Hall calls everyone back into court to finally give his verdict. Mm. Um, well, it won't be quick, I don't think. He'll no. have to. He might summarise it and then uh, leave his judgment, his writing, um, written, sorry, his written judgment to both counsel. But we are endeavouring to get a camera in court mm. to record his words. Hopefully, it'll be in the morning and hopefully, we'll get a camera. That will we share all of that um, vision because I do believe it's in the public interest mm. that um, we do that yeah. to give an accurate report of how he says it and what he says, and that's what um, we're hoping we'll be able to convey to everyone. Yeah, as a, uh, just on a practical point, so um, Justice Hall put it off till September the twenty fourth. We don't think that's the actual date, but it'll be somewhere around there. Um, the court will start at 10 o'clock. We will get uh, all the parties and the reporters will get um, a little bit of um, a notice about when the actual day is going to be. My understanding is this uh, quite a bit of logistical um, thinking and planning going on in terms of the actual court itself, how many people are going to be allowed in, um, how they're going to be allowed in. The, the numbers of media are they going to be allowed in the court? As Ali said, I think there'll be some applications for, certainly for um, that verdict to be recorded and then therefore televised. But as we've previously discussed, whether that be, will be live, whether it will be live streamed, whether if that recording will be able to be broadcast live or not, we're not too sure. Um, in past big um, sort of verdicts that Justice Hall has handed down. He's done exactly what Ali said. He had, he reads a an executive summary, if you like, of his reasons, which will still take around about an hour, an hour and a half, given the amount of material he has to go through, but then he will publish written reasons on the day 
um, I've been told that, that that those reasons will be written and then will be published almost immediately after that verdict is handed down. So um, his total reasoning, and, and that will be voluminous, um, will be available to anyone on the internet to have a look at and read and digest if they wish to. Then he will, um, depending on the verdicts, then he will have to sort out his sentencing date. Now, whether that be for one, two, three murder um, convictions, that's what we're all waiting to see. But there is also the rape and the Huntingdale attack. Who, who There will definitely be some sentencing done there because um, he's uh, Mr. Edwards has pleaded guilty to that. I doubt very much that will be done on the day because what usually happens is there are sentencing submissions asked for from both sides. They are persuasive arguments from one side or to the other as to what the judge um, should consider as a sentence. Um, and the, the, the amount of time between that will also de- depend on if there are any psychological, psychiatric or pre-sentence reports to be written about Mr. Edwards. They are usually... Um, inquired about on that on the on the day of the verdict, um, they can be requested by any side. And in this case, I would be surprised if Justice Hall didn't want at least some um, information um, from um, a, a psychologist and or a psychiatrist um, into Mr. Edwards, um, because uh, obviously he will be the one that will be um, deciding how long he spends in prison and. Um, Justice Hall, as, as we found out over the last few weeks, um, is not averse to asking questions and wants every um, available piece of information um, that he can get. So that that will be the day in a nutshell. But then all the other things that will come with it, um, will the families of the victims talk? Um, we're expecting someone from the WA Police to talk, um, you know, you know, up as high as the commissioner possibly. Um, and then there will be the inevitable um, community reaction as well so yeah it's going to be a big day and um, I think there'll probably be uh, when that verdict day comes um, a lot of um, media around a lot of people um, and I'm wondering if if any other big cases in WA what we've seen media wise is going to be anything like this Mm. or more probably bigger I expect uh, yeah yeah. well Ali's uh, Ali's encyclopedic knowledge going back to the 50s will probably help us there but the rainy case 50s isn't he nice the Lloyd Rainy case yeah which we've mentioned was was an uh, look, I'll, I'll, I'll no, say the big it. ones, of course, have been the, when the premiers have gone to jail. Yep. We've, had, we've had two premiers yeah. go to jail yep. here. Yep. That was massive because that was uh, national interest. Mm. Uh, this is still probably just West Australian interest, and, and it is a very big case. But um, there's nothing really to go as far as a serial killer because the Bernies, who are the famous mm. serial killers, they didn't have a trial. They pleaded guilty. Yeah. That's right. Uh, the long there was further back was um, Eric Cook. He, his was over in a matter of days. So the only thing that is comparable to this have been the big WA scandal, um, financial scandals of the 80s, which saw a couple of premiers jailed, involved big high-flying entrepreneurs like Alan Bond and Laurie Connell. They drew um, interest from all over Australia and everybody, of course, who lost their money in those things. That was that scale. This is um, a different, quite a different 
Um, I think as far as the public goes, it it won't be as crowded, but it certainly will be crowded with media. I, I wonder if it will actually be very, very crowded because if you stop to think that over the course of the seven months, mostly the courtroom has been packed mm. and packed to overflowing. And this is even through the days where the evidence has been very tiresome, very laborious, and people have been sitting through it and showing up for court every day. And not the same people different people coming to have a look. And I just wonder if all of those people were to decide that they'd like to be there at the very end, Mm. you could have enormous crowds. Yeah, and look, the court anticipated that at the very start of the trial. They had um, spill courts and and the the proceedings will be live streamed into other rooms. Um, In the legal district, I am absolutely certain that that will happen again. Um, the, I think there will be a restriction on the actual numbers in court. Um, has to be. <laughs> uh, well, the, yes, there actually has to be pandemic-wise, but Justice Hall runs a pretty tight ship and he knows it's going to be an emotional day for many, many reasons and for many, many people, but he's going to want to try and keep that emotion um, as, as as regulated as he can in the court because... You know, I've heard other ju- judges say, "I don't want my court turned into a circus, or I don't. It's not a theatre. Yeah. It's a, not a theatre. It is a court of law, and um, there is a level of respect, um, sort of, um, uh, you know, needed, yes, um, and expected. Um, so, but in, we may not get that much notice either, Tim. And, that's and if the right. media are not going to report it, then then the public are not going to go. Most of the public have come along because they want to eyeball Bradley Robert Evans. Mm. They want to actually see, physically see him, judge his appearance, judge the way he's act. The verdict, I think, I it might be sort of like you know one of these sort of hanging crowd people. I think um, it'll mainly be media. And I said they may we may not get all that much notice. It'll go through their PR. Yes, it'll be happening tomorrow. Whether we rec- whether we report that the, the night before, which will attract people, I, I'm not quite sure. I think it certainly will be a media circus, as they call it, yeah. because yeah. everybody will be there trying to get as much as they can. Yeah, and I, I like I'm I'm, I'm, I'm a, I am aware that obviously this is a this is a big deal for the state. This has cost the state of Western mm. Australia a lot of money. Um, there are you know very. Uh, senior politicians and, and uh, police officers and you know the uh, the hoi polloi uh, are, are watching and have been watching from a distance to to see how it's been going and so you know whether whether it is live streamed or not that is ultimately something from justice hall but i think there will be arguments um around that um g- given the amount of public interest and the, you know the the, the limitations on um, seating in in the courtroom That's right. It'll be very interesting to see. Uh, We know that everyone listening is very keenly interested and waiting and we just wanted to thank you uh, for all your feedback over the past seven months and your insights, uh, your thoughts. You know, uh, some of the emails that you've sent us have been incredibly insightful and we have read them all and mm-hmm. we've discussed them all and and chatted to each other about them we've been unable to always uh you know talk about them in the podcast because of time but it, it's been really interesting to have you on this journey with us and before we go we've just maybe picked one last question out uh, this is from kate and she asks if edwards was found not guilty what measures would be in place to protect him from the public her other question is if found guilty of the Karakata rape, which of course we know he's already pleaded to, what sentence could be expected? Mm. 
Well, the, I mean, the already, first, yeah. yeah, the first Sorry, question Tim. asks the the second question asks the first one. So he has pleaded yes. guilty. So he is going away. So the only security measures that will be around Mr. Edwards um, post trial will be in prison, yep. um, and they, they've been quite strict on him while he's been uh, in prison during this trial because of an incident before the trial where he um, apparently self-harmed himself with a pencil um, and so he had to shift to prisons and he's now basically watched 24-7 as one of the most important um, and uh, um, significant prisoners, probably the most significant prisoner in the state. Um, as to sentence to rape, look, I'm not a judge, but I, I did take the liberty of looking up similar cases from similar times because that's what Justice Hall is going to have to do. He go, he, he's going to have to transport himself back in time to 1995, look at the law as it stood then, the maximum sentences as, as they stood then, um, and and then, you know, uh, sentence accordingly. Um, I would be very surprised given the gravity, given the brutality um, of that crime. And then you've got Huntingdale as well, which is a completely separate crime, seven years apart. So he will be sentenced and very probably get a cumulative sentence. So there will be a sentence on top of the sentence. I'll be very surprised if he gets away um, without a sentence in double figures. Yeah. Absolutely, um, yeah. Tom Percy QC has written exactly about this in the West Australian earlier this week and he gave his opinion on it and he said uh, probably around 15 years but it's not really completely possible to say. Um, I mean, on the other hand of that, he could also be considered a dangerous sex offender and be detained indefinitely. Mm. Um, he said, irrespective of what verdicts the court delivers on the murder charges, it's hard to see that there is any light at the end of the tunnel for Bradley Robert Edwards. Yes. Yeah, I think that's fair comment. <laughs> Well, and, and speaking of Tom Percy, obviously we've had many, many people joining us um, during this podcast. We've got our regular contributors who we'd like to thank. Uh, um, all of those people that you've heard on the podcast um, have done so as a as a as a favour to us, as a public service. Yeah. Um, you know, they weren't being paid or anything like that. So I w- really like to thank um, Damien Cripps, yep. obviously, who's been our regular legal contributor. Damien's, uh, he's a he's a wicked fella, um, <laughs> uh, but he's also... Not in the bad way. <laughs> no, no, sorry. That was very 1980s of me, was he? Um, he's, yeah, and so thank Thanks to Damien. Thanks to Tom. Um, Brendan, who was just so uh, insightful. And, Very valuable to us, yes. Um, just made difficult concepts really easy to, to, to understand and to listen to. Um, and the listeners, as you said, Nat, they've been amazing. Uh, we never really thought we'd get as much engagement no. <laughs> as we did. I think that's fair to say. So to all the, all the, you know, the regular listeners... Uh, regular contributors, regular sort of writers. I've had, you know, so many people write to me. Um, uh, Elmo, uh, Pete, um, Mr. Blobby. Honestly, these are some <laughs> other people that have been writing to me to my personal email via the paper and and giving me their their feedback. Um, so yeah, we and you know, just just thank you for um, 
you know, not just adding to the pod- podcast, but, you know, making making it a big part of the podcast. Absolutely. And, of course, a very big thank you to yourself, Tim, <laughs> who has tirelessly, tirelessly uh, worked through this. And, of course, as you all know, Tim would uh, step out of court and start furiously uh, filing for the newspaper. And then sometimes from the car park, because he would literally be locked out of the court because it would be so late, he would um, phone us in and record the podcast at whatever hour it was that it had to be done. So, Tim, thank you for your absolute diligence. Alison Fan as well, who who at times would be flying back along the freeway to get back to Channel 7 to file her story for the 6pm news. Again, while, while trying to juggle podcast commitments, thank you. And to our incredible producer, Kate Ryan, who has been on this every day from morning till night across everything, making sure that she kept all of us in line and that we turned up and, and uh, at the right time and didn't disappear into wherever people were disappearing into. So thank you, of course, for all your hard work. And thank you, as Tim said, for being on this journey with us. Uh, we will have some bonus episodes while we wait for that at verdict. So watch out for those. And, of course, we will be back when that verdict is finally handed down. So we look forward to having your company then when Claremont in Conversation resumes. Bye for now. This podcast is hosted by Natalie Bongiolo, produced by Kate Ryan and recorded in the studios of Seven West Media. Sign up for daily emails and all the latest on the Claremont trial at thewest.com.au. And if local news delivered differently appeals to you, tune into WA's newest morning show, The West Live with Jenna Clark. It's talkback radio, but without the interruptions. Listen live weekdays from 8.45am on thewest.com.au or catch up with the podcast.